0: Welcome to Celebrate Poe, Episode 10, Mother's Death. The introductory song you just heard is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. And when this episode is over, I think you will understand Poe's constant need for comfort. My name is George Bartley, and today I would like to welcome back our co-host, the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, but, but first, um, I, I want you to know uh, that I have read statistics that say most podcasts never make it past the ninth episode. Well, this is the tenth episode of Celebrate Poe. According to my stats at Buzzsprout, there must be a lot of people interested in Poe around the world. Celebrate Poe currently has listeners, listeners in, alphabetical order, Australia, Bavaria, Bolivia, Budapest, Canada, Czechoslovakia, Ecuador, France, Germany, Slovenia, Spain, the USSR, the United States, and Venezuela. Not surprisingly, the majority of listeners are from
1: the United States, but almost 15% are from France. Why, Mr. Botley, that is most interesting. Today, the podcast will deal with some of the events of 1810. In Europe... Napoleon reached the zenith of his power. Ludwig van to- Beethoven wrote The Egmont Suite, the music you are hearing now in Vienna. And I was only one year of age. During 1810, my mother's fame as an actress increased, an aspect of her personality that I want to emphasize in this podcast because I feel that her creative passion, in this case the theater, was passed on to me. My father was to later desert the family, but some scholars claim that as late as July the 10th, Mr. David Poe, Jr. was reported to be in New York City. Now, that August, the Placide and Green Theater Company opened in Richmond, Virginia. My mother played in two plays of the period, The Castle Spectre and Of Age Tomorrow. The following month, she appeared in Richmond in The Bell's Stratagem. A writer for the Richmond Enquirer wrote, But the object of these remarks, Mr. Editor, is yet behind the curtain. It is true, a man who has ever been accustomed to esteem modesty in woman's synonymous terms, and who has always been more ready to kneel at the shrine of beauty than before the image of a saint, feels some diffidence in introducing a lady in the columns of a newspaper." Yet he gathers strength from the resolution that no observation of his shall tinge the cheek of modesty with a blush nor cast one stain on the bestal robe of virtue. Thus, self-justified, he enters on the task, confidently believing that the public will be prepared to welcome with the same approbation which marks her entrance on the stage the introduction of Mrs. Poe from an actress who possesses so eminently the faculty of pleasing, whose powers are so general, and whose exertions are so ready, it would be unjust to withhold the tribute of applause. Were I to say simply that she is a valuable acquisition to the theater, I should dishonor her merit and do injustice to the feelings of the public. It is true that she has never yet been called to the high characters in tragedy, and it is proper that she should never be, for she who is so well calculated to fill the heart with pleasure should never be required to shroud it in gloom. On the first moment of her entrance on the Richmond boards, she was saluted with the plaudits of admiration, and at No one moment since has her reputation sunk.
0: I almost hesitate to ask, but how did your father feel about the acclaim your mother
1: was experiencing? For some reason, possibly because, maybe because he came to the realization that he could not abide his situation, my father deserted the family. No one really knows what happened to him, though some sources say that he died in Norfolk in 1811. I never really knew him. Now, my dear mother was left alone to support herself and me. Remember that my older brother, Henry, was in Baltimore. Now, in 1810, my mother gave birth to a third child, a daughter named Rosalie. She was born on the 20th of December in a Norfolk, Virginia boarding house. Rosalie was later described as backwards and may have been, in your current vernacular, mentally challenged. Mr. Poe, do you have any memories of that period? Mr. Bartley, be serious. I was much too young to form definite memories, or at least ones I could articulate. But I'm sure that events would have made a definite impression on me. I can imagine that my mother would take me to the theater in which she was acting to watch her rehearsals. She was a most talented young lady and played what you might call today the beautiful ingenue part, such as Shakespearean roles as Ophelia in Hamlet, Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, and Cordelia in King Lear all roles in which she played beautiful young women who died on stage. For example, in the play King Lear, the king holds my mother's limp body and cries, She's gone forever. I know when one is dead and when one lives. She's dead as earth. Then she would come back to life and meet me after the rehearsal. Perhaps... This is the reason that a constant theme of my later works was the death of a beautiful woman who refused to remain dead after the termination of her life. I later wrote, The boundaries which divide life from death are at best shadowy and vague. Who shall say where the one ends and where the other begins? You must have loved your mother very much. Mr. Bartley, there is... No way to adequately express the love I felt for my mother. Thank you, Mr. Poe.
0: I realize that all this uh, must bring back painful memories for you, and I thank you for expressing something that must be very
1: personal. Thank you for your concern, Mr. Bartley. But let me emphasize that while I may not have concrete memories of occasions when my mother appeared to have died in a drama on stage... Those occasions definitely left me with an impression.
0: I am sure your mother did the best she could, and to be in her early 20s. The year is
1: 1811, and Miss Jane Austen published Sense and Sensibility. I was just two years of age. During August, my mother was acting with the Placide and Green Company in Norfolk after the company had finished their theatrical obligations, they left Norfolk for Richmond, and for some strange reason left my mother and her two children behind. My mother's role in the company was quite significant. Now mister Placide tried to communicate communicate with her and convince my mother to forgo her per-stranded condition and come to Richmond. It seems that this was beyond my mother's strength to answer. She was now in a most weak condition. And it was said Mr. Placide sent a messenger to bring my mother, sister, and myself to Richmond, all at his own expense. He had procured for us accommodations at a boarding house of uh, Mrs. Phillips, an extremely kind milliner. And yet mother continued to appear on stage to great acclaim. She was by now, as you know, weakened in health and quite destitute. But acting was all she knew how to do. Your mother must have had quite a
0: few professional expectations to meet and without sufficient finances
1: and a support system. And worst of all, oh tragedy of tragedies, she had developed consumption. Some say that she even had the beginnings of consumption before Rosalie was born.
0: Our listeners today might understand consumption better as tuberculosis.
1: Yes, thank you. Consumption, or tuberculosis, was one of the most dreaded diseases of my earthly life. I do understand You currently use the term tuberculosis, named after the bacteria that causes the disease. But in the 19th century, we did not fully understand what caused it. There was not, as was later discovered, a germ theory of disease. Well, what do you think caused tuberculosis in the 19th century? To be honest, we did not know. It was just something we were forced to endure Some thought it was hereditary, which might have seemed logical because so many suffered from consumption, I mean tuberculosis. Others thought it was from poor living conditions, which was probably closer to the reason for causation. Some citizens from New England even thought consumption was caused by vampires, But later, scientists learned it was a contagious disease caused
0: by a bacteria. In a sense, tuberculosis is similar to a pandemic we are currently experiencing, COVID-19. Except we know COVID-19 is a highly contagious disease. And we have no excuse in not doing all we can to stop
1: it or at least seriously minimize its spread. I am quite aware of the situation, and I'm afraid that history will not judge the United States well when you are aware of such measures as masks and social distancing that have been proven to decrease, if not prevent, the spread of the disease. We did know in the 19th century that for some reason, consumption caused a person's body to become weaker and weaker as that person began coughing up blood. After my earthly life, scientists learned that during consumption, a germ would enter the lungs and eat away or consume the bottom of the lung lining. Your lungs were so weak that much of the blood that the heart was supposed to be pumping to the body stayed in the lungs. According to some sources, consumption was so common in the 19th century that women's handkerchiefs were never pure white. You see, the manufacturers always put a row of bright red cherries, strawberries, or most commonly roses, on the bottom of the handkerchief. So if a lady coughed up blood, it would not be as evident to those around her that she had consumption. But going from the general, the disease, to the specific, my mother, she began to feel weaker and weaker, and her little body exhibited even more signs of weakness. She made her last stage appearance on October the 11th, 1811. That November, the Richmond Inquirer printed an appeal. To the humane heart, on this night, Mrs. Poe lingering on the bed of disease and surrounded by her children, asks your assistance and asks it perhaps for the last time the generosity of a Richmond audience can need no other appeal. And the Virginia Patriot printed a special announcement concerning the benefit for my mother. In consequence of the serious and long-continued indisposition of Mrs. Poe and in compliance with the advice and solicitation of many of the most respectable families, the managers have been induced to appropriate another night for her benefit. Taking into consideration the state of her health and the probability of this being the last time she will ever receive the patronage of the public, this will give the public an opportunity to display their benevolent remembrance. I certainly hope that resulted in a response from the community. Yeah, yeah, some ladies from the community did visit her, but in her poverty-stricken condition, medical attendants... virtually non-existence, trying to read through the dark days of the future, trying to steal the cries of my sister, and listening to the muffled voices of Mrs. Phillips' customers in the shop below. There is no way to articulate the feelings engendered in me when I saw my mother dying before me like so many of the characters she had played." She was dying a slow and painful death before our eyes. And on December the 8th, she breathed her last. But this time she did not come back to life like she always did on stage. Rosalie and I did not really understand what was happening and we cried out for our mother to speak to us. <coughs> My mother was buried at Old St. John's Church in Richmond, but because acting was considered such a scandalous profession, many members of the church's vestry protested that her remains not be sheltered by consecrated ground. Therefore, those who shared the prejudices of the time ensured that she was buried far from the church in an unmarked grave. That's terrible, Mr. Poe. Fortunately, my mother's grave was moved and given a marker in 1927. Now, Mr. Bartley, some have said that my mother's death set up a pattern of fears and self-destructive behaviors that would torture me for all my earthly life. But years later, when a friend wrote about my mother, I replied in part with the words, In speaking of my mother, you have touched a string to which my heart fully responds. To have known her is to be an object of great interest in my eyes. I myself never knew her, and never knew the affection of a father. I have many occasional dealings with adversity, but the want of parental affection has been the heaviest of my trials." In 1845, I also wrote about my mother. The writer of this article is himself the son of an actress, has invariably made it his boast, and no Earl was ever prouder of his earldom than he of the descent from a woman who, although well-born, hesitated not to consecrate to the drama her brief career of genius and of beauty. What happened to your brother and sister? My grandfather, General David Poe Sr., still took care of my brother, William Henry Leonard. General Poe was no longer as wealthy as he had been and understandably allowed the other two children to pass into the hands of charitable strangers. One of the ladies who had visited my mother, Jane Scott McKenzie, along with her husband, William McKenzie, adopted my sister, Rosalie. The McKenzie's accepted and adopted Rosalie, even though they had two children of their own. They were a rather wealthy couple, and I believe they would have eight mall children.
0: Well, what happened to
1: you after your mother passed away? Frances Keeling Valentine Allen, another member of Richmond Society, had visited my mother and agreed to raise me. So I was raised, and let me emphasize raised, not adopted, by John Allen and Francis Allen, even though I called them Paul and Maul. This is why I was given the middle name of Allen, even though I was never formally adopted. A state, I must admit, that left me in a most precarious state emotionally. The Allens were unable to have children, and Mrs. Allen, along with many ladies of the most respectable families in Richmond, had taken my mother food and a certain amount of comfort.
0: Yes, I understand that Henry was already living with General Poe, but how did Mrs. Mackenzie and Mrs. Allen learn of your mother's specific
1: plight? I believe their actions were engendered because of an advertisement that a theater manager had placed in the Richmond Inquirer to the kind-hearted of the city. They answered it, and my mother's worst fears were temporarily relieved. Mrs. Allen was able to give me the love and security I craved and protected me from Mr. Allen's occasional anger.
0: Yes, and your relationship with the Allens is something that we will definitely discuss in future podcast
1: episodes. I certainly did not understand what was happening when the Allens first took me to their home, but I was most aware that my world had been totally and forever disrupted, that everything had changed. I was separated from my baby sister, Rosalie, who was probably crying when we were separated. I found myself alone with an affectionate, but nevertheless strange woman. Get up there! As the carriage I was in rattled over the cobbled Richmond streets, I must have again experienced an intense emotion without words a feeling of loneliness and emptiness that would follow me all the way to the grave. Thank you, Mr. Poe. I can't imagine the pain you must have gone through.
0: And thank you for your bravery in relating the story of your mother's last days on this podcast. I do feel that the narrative of your life story will help us understand your tales and poems in a significant way. While Eliza must have experienced a small amount of relief to know that her children had adults to take care of them, it would have been difficult for almost anyone at the time to realize the full extent of the trauma that her death caused to her children, especially Edgar and Rosalie. Every day they watched their beautiful young mother die a slow and ugly death in a one-room flat watching their mother gradually becoming thin and gray, as well as spitting up blood all over her nightclothes and bed. Dr. Lenore Terre writes movingly about the scene that little Edgar experienced, emphasizing that the toddler must have been terrified, while at the same time fascinated, as he tried to deal with a situation that was completely out of his control. Little Edgar must have experienced some terrible things during his toddler days. Somehow, back then, little children were expected to act like little adults. We know that children then were not often brought into the conversation to express their feelings, certainly not in the 1800s. No one thought to answer the many questions that a bright but confused little boy would have about the fact that his mother had slowly died in front of him, and now he was to live with strangers. To quote Dr. Ter regarding the toddler, the almost three-year-old Edgar may have lain down with his mother's body nestled into her, talked to her, shook her, perhaps even tried to open her mouth. He did not understand what death was, but he formed a permanent impression. In so many of the works that Celebrate Poe will deal with, some possibly familiar and some most likely new to you, we will see Poe's simultaneous horror and fascination with death play out over and over almost as though Poe was trying to relive his mother's death. And finally, why not check out our webpage at CelebratePoe, all one word, CelebratePoe.Buzzsprout, again, all one word, dot com. That's CelebratePoe.Buzzsprout.com for this podcast for show notes and a transcript of the podcast. That is CelebratePoe.Buzzsprout.com. I will be adding ways to access more resources that can be valuable sources into learning more about America's Shakespeare. And note this episode's cover art, a graphic of St. John's Episcopal Church where Eliza Poe was buried. I also encourage you to use the links to ask questions from the character of Mr. Poe. There is no need to include your name unless you want a shout out I do have quite a few questions from my days at History Alive as Poe, but I want to deal with the subjects that you are most interested in. You can just send any questions to CelebratePoe at gmail.com. I have my ideas, but really want to include your thoughts as well. Well, thank you for very much for making it thus far as we take a deep dive into the life and times and influences Of America's Shakespeare and how he has influenced our world. Join us for the next episode in this podcast series to learn about Little Edgar's first Christmas with the Allens and an extremely traumatic event that took place in Richmond the day after Christmas, an event that has been called America's first major disaster.